This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, back with you here on the show. It is a weekend edition of the Bama Online Podcast, and we certainly have a lot to talk about as the Alabama men's basketball team goes down to Auburn and takes care of the rival Tigers. 77-69. to Had to really gut one out there in the last seven or eight minutes at Neville Arena. We'll also talk some Alabama football coming up a little bit later. We'll get position-specific with the outside linebacker area of that defense for Alabama. We'll talk about some of the good from 2022, some of the not so good, and how that position projects moving forward. First, though, Alabama men's hoops maintains that lead in the SEC standings with a courageous performance down the stretch. I thought early in the game, Alabama was tight, really, for the duration of the first half, maybe going into the second half. For whatever reason, Alabama's first five really struggled to score the basketball at the start of both halves, but defense got Alabama through. I thought Auburn did what they had to do in terms of putting a lot of it on the officials, maybe too much of it, but I'll give Wendell Green Jr. a lot of credit, man. You know, it's Neville Arena at Auburn. It ought to be Amway Arena with the way that guy can sell some foul calls because it's not just going to the bucket where he draws whistles. He draws them from three-point range, and I will say this. There was one on Mark Sears where I thought that was on Mark. It just wasn't a poised play in that situation, but there were a couple others where, wow, you know, I know Jay Bill has talked about, well, he's not in legal guarding position. Well, how about are you in a legitimate scoring position? Because pretty obvious, Wendell Green Jr. wasn't looking to actually try to make a basket. I understand the rules are the rules. And again, credit to Wendell Green Jr. He's got it down. And also, you have to remember, these are some Alabama guards that haven't seen Wendell Green Jr. now. You look at the guys that primarily were defending the basketball on Green, Jaden Bradley, freshman, Mark Sears, transfer, uh, Ryland Griffin, who I thought did a great job on Wendell Green Jr. later in the game there in the second half. As much as we need to talk about the heroics of uh, Ryland Griffin on the offensive end where he had 16 points on just seven shots, hit three of five from three, had a big block of what looked to be an open shot for Wendell Green Jr. I think, man, when you've got a guy that's 6'4", 6'5", like Griffin, and he can guard a smaller point guard like that, a lot of value in that. So, We talked about at BamaOnline.com, or I wrote about at BamaOnline.com, some things to look for in this game on Friday. That story went up there at BOL. And three predictions for Alabama-Auburn. One of them was that the two teams would combine to shoot no fewer than 50 free throws. A year ago when Alabama went down to Neville Arena, the Tigers went to the free throw line 39 times. And really... 
got there quite a bit on Saturday this time around. Not to the extent of 39 attempts, but 26 attempts, again, put a lot on the officials. It worked for about 30, 32 minutes, and then when it came time to have to legitimately make shots, you saw what happened to Auburn on the offensive end down the stretch, but 22 of 26 from the free throw line, only shoot 32% from the field, the Tigers did, so made up a lot of ground there at the free throw line. Alabama, conversely, not as prolific from the stripe, just 23 trips. Yeah, that's about average for Alabama, I guess, this season, 23 free throw attempts. But kind of a retro Bama day at the free throw line. Only made 13 of those, shot 56.5% from the free throw line. So when you look at it, Alabama goes 6 of 21 from 3 and 13 of 23 from the free throw line and still wins by 8 on the road. So that whole narrative about, well, Alabama doesn't make its threes. We talked about it here on the podcast. Yeah, just as a general statement about teams in college basketball in general, you can make that comment about any team, can't you? Well, this team doesn't make their threes, they're going to lose. Well, threes are pretty important in college basketball. If they weren't, teams wouldn't be taking 20-plus of them a game. But Auburn was really intent defensively on running Alabama off the three-point line. And that's where I thought Alabama, maybe in the first half, was a little bit tentative. And you say that, and then you look at points in the paint for the game, and it was a complete reversal of Alabama's trip to Auburn in 2022. A year ago, Auburn outscores. Now, this is with Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith, so that that kind of makes some sense when you think about it in retrospect. But Auburn outscored Alabama 52-22. to from the paint in Auburn a year ago. This time around, Alabama, 44 to 20 in the paint. So we're able to get some things done. Shot 59% from the field for the game, which again, when you consider that Alabama shot less than 29% or right at 29% from three, that's a hell of a high conversion rate on twos. And in a way in which you can make up some ground where you're working at a deficit uh, in some other areas like free throws. Look, if I had told you before the game, Auburn's going to make one more three than Alabama and nine more free throws than Alabama, I I think we both know who we both would have picked in the game if we had those sort of clues available to us. But Alabama's bench once again comes up big, outscoring Auburn's 25-14. to Ryland Griffin, man, we just talked about him a little bit. Huge off the bench. Not so much for Javon Quinterly on this day. Played 11 minutes, but just had a couple of turnovers, a couple of fouls, wasn't nearly as involved. Namari Burnett with five points in the game. Namari had a couple of looks there later in the second half when Alabama's up four so. They had worked so hard. It seemed like for about 30 32 minutes, Alabama could get to the point of a two-point lead, but couldn't push it beyond that to four or six or eight. Well, Namari had a couple of clean looks that just wouldn't go down. The second one, he was really unlucky. That ball was pretty much down and out uh, for Namari Burnett. But again, that stretch there from about the 10-minute mark of the second half through the finish of the basketball game, Alabama was down five 
I'm not going to say that Alabama in that position was in a danger zone, really, with that much time left. But if it gets out to eight or double figures, now you're in a big hole. And now some of that anxiety that it looked like this team was struggling with in the first half has a chance to take hold at the most critical juncture in the game. Instead, Alabama in that situation goes on a 9-2 run with Mark Sears. Talking about heroic performances. Mark Sears scores seven points in a span of about two minutes and 20 seconds. Again, Namari had those clean looks. 61-59 game, I think it was, and he had the, the three go down and out. Meanwhile, Wendell Green Jr. comes down on the other end, hits a three to put Auburn back in front at 62-61. to But from that point, it's Alabama on a 16-7 to run to close out the Tigers on their home Four. And again, as it turns out, threes were a wash because Alabama made six, Auburn made seven. I think it was more critical for Auburn to convert threes. And so when you look, though, at Auburn's seven made threes, you also have to take into account, again, Wendell Green just selling some fouls from the perimeter and was able to get to the free throw line. A couple of Auburn players, uh, Katie Johnson, obviously a big proponent of selling the officials. And this isn't a complaint of those guys. If you're getting the calls, keep doing it. You know, if you're holding Brandon Miller, you're hooking his off arm all the way down the floor and he turns the ball over and it's not called a foul, then you keep doing it. And that was pretty much the case for Auburn, again, until that well ran dry there with about five, six minutes to go. And then it was on the Tigers to just get the job done. And Alabama was not going to allow that to happen. So it's on to Knoxville. You know, you went into this stretch. And by the way, Georgia, how about the dogs? beating John Calipari. I think it was Cal's birthday on Saturday, too. And the Cats take the gas in Athens. But Georgia will visit Alabama on February the 18th. Of course, a huge matchup now for this Alabama team as it stays on the road and goes to Knoxville to take on a Tennessee team. When you talk about regular season SEC championship hopes, it's desperation time for the Vols. And here's what I like for Alabama in regards to going to Knoxville is that it's a Wednesday game. Instead of that really quick turnaround of Saturday to Tuesday, Alabama gets that extra day before it heads to the summit at Thompson Bowling Arena. All right, so let's talk some American intercollegiate varsity tackle football as it relates to the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're going to look specifically at the outside linebacker position on this edition of the Bama Online Podcast. We're going to talk about some of the positives from the 2022 season at that area of the Alabama defense. We're also going to talk about some of the not-so-positive things that transpired during the recently completed season. We'll also look ahead. We'll consider some potential scenarios at outside linebacker for Alabama in 2023. We'll start with the positives for the second straight season. Will Anderson led the SEC in both sacks and tackles for loss. No, his numbers weren't on par with what he produced in 2021. I think we all understand, though, that 2021 was sort of a unicorn type of season. Generational, I think, is a fair way to describe Will Anderson's stat line from that season. You know, kind of like what Derek Thomas was, say, 
35 years ago for Alabama. Pains me to say it that way. 35 years ago? Might be even a few more than that. That's what Will Anderson was in 2021. Will won multiple National Defensive Player of the Year awards, a unanimous All-American in 2022. It wasn't, again, the kind of season that warranted a visit to New York City as a Heisman finalist as a defensive player. But he, along with Dallas Turner, found the end zone in 2022. Dallas did it against Tennessee, of course, in that thriller against the Vols up in Knoxville. Wills came on an interception return earlier in the season. As far as the not-so-positive things, I think penalties is probably where a lot of folks would start. Will had his issues throughout the season. Dallas had some as well. Probably most notably, the face mask against Ole Miss showed up. So an inability to play clean for an extended stretch or on a consistent basis was problematic for Alabama edge defenders a season ago. And I think when we're talking about a guy like Dallas Turner, considering that he was top 10 in the SEC as a true freshman in sacks in 2021, and he was top 20-ish in tackles for loss in fewer snaps than what he received in 2022. I'd say the combined production of Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell last season wasn't what a lot of folks anticipated. Between Anderson Turner and Braswell, Alabama got 29 tackles for loss. I think if I had set the over-under for that trio at 30, almost unanimously Alabama fans would have taken the over. Kind of the same thing with sacks. If I had set sacks for that trio at, say, 25 or so, a lot of folks would have taken the over. Instead, between Anderson, Turner, and Braswell, Alabama gets 16 and a half sacks from that trio. And this isn't to pile on guys like Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell because I think there was still the continued issue of not having that disruptive force on the interior. You know, it's really great to have Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams on your edges when you got guys like Williams and Deron Payne kicking ass on the inside, right? I think we can all agree that Alabama hasn't had that sort of presence for a couple of years now. I give Fedarian Mathis credit a couple of years ago. I think Fedarian maximized every bit of his ability and his talent during his time at Alabama. I think the same could be said for Byron Young, but I also think it shows up in the form of the NFL draft and as much as anything, Senior Bowl week, I think it shows up. Because when Alabama has elite defensive linemen, you don't see them at Senior Bowl week. Because one, they're either three and outs, or their draft status, or their draft grade doesn't warrant an appearance in Mobile. What I'm saying is, they have first-round grades, and you're not going to see a lot of guys with slam-dunk first-round grades taking part in Senior Bowl practices and or the game. As sort of an extension of all this in 2022, you had the much-anticipated cheetah package it really took on popularity during preseason practices there were rumblings there was buzz about this package that would have braswell and anderson and turner on the field together and yeah i mean absolutely when you consider the potential to impact things especially from a pass rush perspective with those three guys on the field it was understandable to be excited about what that group might do together my concern at the time and i think it played out this way to a large extent was a couple of things. When I think about three guys in your front seven that are all 
sub 250. This isn't an every down package. This isn't going to be a part of your base defense. This isn't going to be a part of, say, your nickel package, your big nickel on an early down basis. So it was always, in my mind, going to be situational. Okay, that's great. But here's the problem with that. And I mentioned this at the time as well. When you go against a Tennessee that works at warp speed or even, say, an Ole Miss, how are you going to get that package on the field? So it was always going to be situational in nature. And even when things lined up and that opportunity in obvious passing situations presented itself, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it was particularly impactful. Now, here's the deal. In 2023 football, You've got offenses that spread the field to the extent where you want to go with more twitch. You want to go with more athleticism in your front seven because you've got offenses that are stretching you horizontally. They're stretching you vertically. You've got to have guys that can make plays in space. So it's understandable to go with a two outside linebacker look even in your nickel package on early downs. It's something we've seen Alabama do for a few years now. We've seen it going back to Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis. You know, when I think about 2020 and what the potential was for Will Anderson and Christopher Allen on the field together on an every down basis, yeah, that's when I start to think about top five guys in both sacks and tackles for loss with that type of duo. And that's what's going to be interesting going forward. If you're Nick Saban, if you're new defensive coordinator Kevin Steele, do you feel good enough about Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell at least going into spring practice to think that's an approach that you can continue to employ on a consistent basis? Or do you feel like, at least in your nickel, your heavier nickel or your early downs nickel, do you need to play more of a prototype defensive end to book in your jack linebacker? And that's an area where it all starts. Contrary to popular belief, when you think about some of the biggest failures for the Alabama defense in 2022, you think about the run game. So you still have to be able to set hard edges. Are you going to be able to do that with Turner and Braswell? For that matter, which one of the two do you project to be that guy at the jack linebacker position in your nickel and in your dime. Turner certainly has the talent and potential to get it done. I think Braswell does too. Braswell came to Alabama light, needed a couple of years to get to a point in terms of strength and bulk where he could hang in there, not only when it comes to dealing with the run, but being able to maintain his pass rush plan without getting knocked off his route. Three and four years in the program, respectively, That shouldn't be as much of an issue in 2023 for either of those guys. Similar to Braswell is Q Robinson. Like Braswell, Robinson needed some time in the sports science program. We saw him a good bit on special teams in 2022. That's typically a gateway to getting on the field, whether that's offensively or defensively. So when it comes to initially anyway, identifying that third edge defender, I think the line this spring going into it will start with Q Robinson, Jeremiah Alexander is a second year player. You want to talk about a stout, powerfully built guy, that's Alexander, listed at 258 pounds, should be able to hang in there from that perspective. Keanu Coote also in that mix, but for Coote, it's been an issue of trying to stay healthy and stay in the mix and availability in general for him. And then the real entry 
intrigue starts to come in with the early enrollees. We love our shiny new toys, don't we? Quay Roussal coming in as a highly regarded edge defender, really a multi-backer Quay Roussal when you watch his high school tape. So there is talk about does Quay Roussal start at the edge? Do you start him out at weak side linebacker? Do you cross-train Quay Roussal like we've seen Alabama do with other talented linebackers in the past? Jordan Renaud also as an early enrollee. You know, for me, I see some young Deshaun Hand when I watch Renaud high school tape you look at some of these guys and you wonder how they're going to get to 285 or so and not lose something where speed and agility are concerned I don't worry about that when I watch Renaud he's long and he uses it extremely well to stack and shed against the run he also showed you a nice arm over move in the pass rush so there is certainly a nice foundation on which to build with both Rusal and Renaud and that's again is before we talk about the anticipated arrivals coming up after Memorial Day of Keon Keeley and Yanzi Pierre, a couple of five stars. At about 6'6 or so, Keon Keeley looks like he was put on this earth to play the Jack linebacker position. Terrell Lewis comes to mind a little bit for me when I watch Keon Keeley. And as he takes on additional bulk and strength, He's going to be able to convert speed to power. When you look at these long, lanky type of guys coming out of high school, that's the first thing you wonder about. You don't think so much about their bend or their get-off or those type of things. You think more about, in time, what this guy will be like when he's also able to really incorporate power into his arsenal at the SEC level. And I'll be honest, it's not that... I think Keon Keeley doesn't come from a good high school program because I think he absolutely does. And I understand he played his high school football in the state of Florida. But I also know he didn't play at maybe the highest of levels. He didn't play against the Carroll Cities. He didn't play against the Lakelands down there. But there is no doubt you can imagine this guy at say 265 270 and being able to work him from multiple spots especially in pass rush situations and again not that I had any concerns but I was encouraged further encouraged by his performance in San Antonio during that All-American Bowl week where he was certainly when you talk about top two or three players that had that kind of buzz around him Keon Keeley was the one of those dudes especially during the practice this week length is such a common theme here at this edge position too and I don't know if a a player illustrates that more than Yonzi Pierre of Ufala this is an absolute true edge prospect elite get off off the charts length and it's that enormous length that seemingly allows him to play a half to a full step faster His high school tape, you see hints of a long arm move, a little bit of a ghost move, so he shows you he's got some bend and dip. And sort of like Keeley, those are attributes that are only going to become more effective as he makes gains in strength and speed. And so while you respect the path that Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell have followed, and you absolutely anticipate both those guys being central pieces to the edge position in 2023, when you start thinking about a couple of three of these newcomers – 
It's not all that difficult either to envision one or more becoming a factor where situational packages at least are concerned early on in the 2023 season. I think more of the question again goes back to where does Rousseau get his start? For that matter, is there cross-training between an inside linebacker that's on campus already and outside linebacker? Jihad Campbell, for example, was thought to be maybe one of those guys a year ago. And so you consider again what competition could look like by fall camp of August of this year. It... uh, It's exactly the way I think Nick Saban wants it to look. Even if you are a returning player, you are still going to have to compete at the highest of levels to make sure you maintain or promote yourself to that anticipated level on the two deep. Or there's going to be some guys, not just the newcomers, that give you everything they've got and then some where those reps are concerned. Again, Alabama men's basketball gave it everything they had on Saturday down at Auburn and getting that win over the Tigers. On a day in which Brandon Miller wasn't his best, 0 of 7 from 3, Alabama with the kind of win on the road that bodes well when you think ahead to March. Because, no, you're not going to play true road games in the NCAA tournament, but that game, that game on Saturday... That had the feel of, say, a round of 16 type game, maybe even round of 32 where you're not your best, but you still got to get the job done or it's season over. And so a great experience for Alabama, I think, all the way around to close the door on that deal. Hey, you know, you also got the Diamonds are cranking up at the University of Alabama. Alabama softball this weekend getting underway there at the Rhodes House in Tuscaloosa. Uh, It wasn't a great start on Friday for Patrick Murphy's club, but got the job done in in the two games that followed against Georgia Southern, sweeping the Eagles in those contests. And you're gonna have Brad Bohannon and the Alabama baseball team set to go Next weekend, Alabama baseball, I think, picked, what, fifth in the SEC West? I know people hear that and they go, man, that's that's low. Well, when you consider that pretty much the four teams in front of them are, what, top five, top eight teams nationally, uh, fifth out of seven in the SEC West is actually pretty darn good. We hope you've enjoyed the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. What we would certainly tell you is... To join us right there at BOL, hang out with us on the Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans around the globe. Everything we know as we know it, as it happens, you're going to learn about it first right there on the Roundtable. If you haven't subscribed to the Bama Online Podcast right here as of yet, we certainly hope you'll consider doing that as well. If you would leave us a rating and a review while you're doing that, that would help us out tremendously. And with that, Travis Ryer thanking you once again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. Until next time, so long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 